This is the Things We Do podcast, a podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend, Elle Harris. Hello. Hello. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Um, so I've got lots of questions. So many questions. But the first question I'm going to ask is tell everyone on the internet who you are and what you do. Wow. Well, that's, that's, that is a big question. <laughs> it's the, it's the, it's knowing you, it's not a simple question. <laughs> uh, I wear many hats. I wear yes. many hats. Uh, so I am Elle Harris. I am a filmmaker. Um, I direct, I produce, I write, I do tech roles as needed. I basically made films by mostly by myself as much as I could to start out so that mm-hmm. I was wearing as many hats as possible, which was sleep depriving, but it was really <laughs> educational. So <laughs> definitely learn a lot through doing that. Um, ended up outsourcing some of the things that uh, are not really possible to just do straight off the bat. So things like sound, I'm not super familiar yeah. with. Um, I haven't had heaps of time with cameras, but just through doing it all myself, I could at least know how to talk to all the departments and jump in if something was needed. So that's come in really handy with meeting other like-minded people and other filmmakers because you can kind of jump in with whatever they need. Which which is very unique, especially for, would you say a woman? And like in a unique position, are you kind of an acquired kind of person i think there's probably more women now who do wear heaps of hats yeah because there's been a little bit of a monopoly on a lot of the technical sides of things which um some of the schools are trying to go against now and a lot of the departments are having more of a push for more women in the more technical departments which is great but because there are still more women in um, production and fewer women doing the technical roles on set, I yeah. think with the independent level, there's a lot of women who are trying to do more and learn more and take matters into their own hands just to get stuff made. So you see, even at a fully produced level, there's a lot of female creators who have written, produced, acted in, directed, done all of the bits for their web series or TV show. Like there's just a huge push for women to just kind of have a bit of a bull rush towards getting stuff done. Yeah. Was that all, do you feel like that was always you as a kid kind of rushing to get stuff done or is it kind of like... Yeah, I'm definitely not great at like picking up something after (laughs) it's dropped. (laughs) So if I don't just do it all at once... Uh, it will most likely not resurface. So, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Have you had projects that have just never resurfaced? Oh, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll wake up one day and be like, this is it, and work on something for a while, and then, you know, life gets in the way, and then you look back at it later and you're like, I have absolutely zero interest in continuing this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, what were you like as a kid? Because, like, where did this kind of intrigue in film and and making stuff kind of come from? So I grew up in Perth. Um, I grew up on a five-acre property of bushland. Wow. Yeah, there was not many people around. Um, so activities were things like climbing trees, um, just making up your own worlds. And I'd love to think that all of this came from doing that, but it, yeah. no, absolutely 
I really, I do not. <laughs> I feel like figuring things out and problem solving may yeah. have come from that, but not like a love for creating and story. <laughs> I read a lot as a kid, um, but really I came to film and TV later in life. You know, we had really? screen time and mm. things were a little bit more lo-fi in our household. So it was really like mid-teenage years when I had a few friends um, that were a bit older and I'd moved in with them and we were just, it, it was just this share house in Balcata that had this shag carpeting that we all delivered pizzas and you just could not get the smell of pizza <laughs> out of that shag carpet. Um and we were watching things like Fight Club and American Psycho and Office Space and just yeah. really getting into all of that stuff. And it was just this whole, I remember watching Dr. Strangelove yeah. and I'd just never really seen anything other than, you know, what the latest blockbuster was or what yeah. was going on at the local Cineplex or something. So seeing all of the different things, it was like, oh, I could live all of the different <laughs> lives. <laughs> With in bits through watching bits. them. Yeah. Did it start off with like the love of acting or performing or did it kind of like where did this sort of, when you watched films, what was initially the hook that made you go, I want to make something or invest my yeah. time in this. I want to say slight torture of yeah. like making something. Yeah. Uh, it was actually a little bit roundabout. So I think I was just really intrigued by um, this possibility of these immersive worlds, yeah. really. And you get to know so much about human nature and people's relationships and ways that different people deal with things uh, completely irrationally. Just all of those sorts of things you don't really get taught or experience as a kid, all of those just mm. little nuances. Um, and I think I didn't really have a specific drive to make films all I saw was actors yeah and so naturally that was kind of what you go towards and again I think it's a little bit of you know having grown up when I did and women in the industry there's not really at the Oscars like women accepting awards except for acting so yeah I was not raised to think that girls could do less than boys or anything, but it just never occurred to me. Like, it's a pretty embarrassing thing to admit, to be like, as a competent human, it literally never occurred to me that there was another role. It was yeah. just like, oh, if I like movies, then I need to be an actor. Yeah. Do you feel like that's put in... Because you kind of walk this world, and I think, it, I, I think it's a good thing, where you kind of walk this world in a little bit of just being yourself which is you know the best thing you can be but do you feel like people try and put you into categories of being like you know good looking or you know stereotypical or like do you see you know because sometimes you'll wear something glamorous and then sometimes you'll just be like t-shirt and jeans and happy like do you feel like people try and kind of chuck you into either category of like if you dress a certain way everyone's like oh that's just weird or uncomfortable. Has that ever happened to you growing up or like in even moving to Sydney? I think I've always been pretty conscious of trying to avoid that <laughs> because I do really like to jump around yeah. a bunch of different things. Um, so 
I was usually of the opinion that if I tried too hard to look conventionally good, yeah, then there would be an expectation that I would have to do that like every day, <laughs> <laughs> and that's exhausting. Yeah, so it's, it's like a lot. If I wear makeup to work in my first week, then they're gonna like if I drop it off after that, they're gonna be like, oh. What's what going on yeah. there? Whereas if I just go in hard with just being like, look, yeah. I literally woke up five minutes ago, but I'll do my job. <laughs> and then if like week four comes around and I'm starting to dress nice, then it's like, oh, it's a surprise. So I like to, you know, deliver like- low at the start <laughs> and then exceed expectations. I feel like that's the proper way to do life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's like, you know. I, I feel like also, though, it, it is kind of a, a very much a perception thing because, like, social media um, ideally is just also the wondrous world that it is. Mm-hmm. And no matter what you do as a performer, as a creative, our images go up online. We kind of get judged by everyone how yeah. we look. Um, and it's kind of like inevitable escape. You can't really escape that at all. And, uh, I mean, like, your Instagram profile and your Facebook profile are pretty, like, you know, you don't post a lot on Facebook. No. Instagram, you barely post anything, but you do have a, like, you do occasionally post stuff about projects and stuff. Yeah. But you have a couple of old photos from, like, ver- of you various projects or when you've been doing your van and stuff like that. Mm. Do you, you know, like, feel like people comment on that and go, oh, she's good looking there? And do you, or do you, are you very good at funneling that also out and just being, like, ignoring all those comments? Or do you kind of go through and delete half the comments <laughs> and just go, I'll ignore them and just get de- deal with it? Uh, I don't think I really get many comments, okay. which is, you know, that's... And also, people are usually... The less you post, I think the more complimentary... People are on the few things you do. It's that whole like, good job, which actually means a lot. I'm not great with um, pictures and (laughs) photos. I I really get super nervous having my photo taken. Really? Yeah. Are you an anxious person? Are you a very like nervous person? Not particularly. Not about just like, you know, I mean, look, it's 2022. Like we're all going to die very soon <laughs> in general. You just got to come to terms. I know you've got, you've got 365 <laughs> days, people. That's it. That's You're going to just like, you just got to go. <laughs> yeah, go on. Live, laugh, laugh. <laughs> but no, like, so you're, you kind of don't like that pressure of just having your photo taken. Uh, I think it's always been a, um, I grew up with a brother and my parents were not particularly um, into pressuring me to wear the right things yeah. or dress to a certain standard. Like, obviously, you know, dress in your nice jeans if you're going to go see Nana, but not <laughs> like a judgmental kind of way. Yeah. But there was definitely a um, a bit of a reticence towards putting yourself out there. It was yeah. a very Australian kind of concept of that tall poppy thing of if again if you don't set an expectation too high yeah then you can't get disappointed with it so anything <laughs> glamorous anything trying to look good any of that was always a little bit on the like mm, we don't we don't really do that wow and i don't think that was anything conscious it was yeah. just probably how they were brought up or what they prioritized yeah. and what happened there so yeah, I think in general I'm 
very conscious of that whole thing of like posing for a photo or you don't want to look bad, but then I have this internal thing about, oh, oh, but I don't want to look good. Yes. <laughs> I want to look okay. Yeah. I want to be, so you just end up like, you know, living your life with a teenage kid on the backseat of the bus just being like, I hate everything. I didn't yes. even try. I studied less than you did. I don't even care. <laughs> Why do I? Why do I feel like that was something your teenage year actually? Absolutely! Said? Oh my gosh! I just wish it was socially acceptable for me to still have had like the level of fringe that I had. Oh really? You oh, had a lot of fringe. Absolutely, so much fringe. Why did Why did you get rid of the fringe? I don't know. It, yeah, <laughs> I got rid of all of my hair at a couple of points. So yeah, I mean, like, I feel like that's everyone. Though. Yeah, you've got to kind of shave off your head. You've got to. Um, you otherwise, got to. otherwise you have too much. <laughs> or you just never know what it's like to shower with a freshly shaved head. Oh, and can I say that's very comforting. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah. A, <laughs> if I you just... haven't shaved all of your hair off now, go and do it. <laughs> Otherwise, go and get a Brazilian and then just shave your head off. <laughs> there you go. Look, just be completely, you know, completely bare everywhere and you'll be so comfy in the shower. <laughs> what is it? Neck down in the picture? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's like I always find... I feel like for the male side as well, there's always kind of this pressure of just being like, I don't know, it was very much different for me because growing up, I developed facial hair and stuff so later in life. Mm -hmm. Like it was like in my 20s. Mm. And then everyone was like, you know, you had the, like the teenage boy bum fluff kind of thing going on. And I was like, oh, that's really like weird because everyone else is growing like full thick beards. And... I know for some reason my brother just like ha like could grow a beard to save his life. He could just grow like a massive beard. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know what's happened to me. It's like slow. It's, you know, it's painful. Uh, so I just, <laughs> I'm lazy at the moment. I let it grow. But I mean, for me, it was a kind of like a, a conscious thing. Like I was nervous about it growing up. The older I've gotten, um, and I don't know if this happens also for you, is I just stopped caring. I mm. like, I used to kind of always dress up for others. Now I dress up for me. Mm. And it's the only, you know, like with your, you know, the tall puppy syndrome. But I only ever, like, I remember once I used to wear a suit to like TAFE and I got criticized for not wearing one another day. Yeah. And it didn't matter. I didn't start off wearing suits at TAFE. It just happened one week that I decided to wear a suit and the next week. I did again, and then the following week, and then I was like, oh, why are you wearing a suit? Yeah. That's so fucking weird. Yeah. Why aren't you just put a suit on? I was like, oh, I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm allowed to dress how I want. So, I mean, like, you know, that didn't happen every day, but I, I definitely feel like it, it's something I can relate to, which is just, you know, very much like everyone, everyone kind of has this expectation that we have on others, and then we kind of go and try and project onto you. and and like. I mean, in your technical life, you know, because lots of te um, techs end up being men, mm. does that often, you know, do you kind of encounter that when you're on set or anything? Have you ever had on set, like, standing by and been like, oh. are you very good at biting your tongue? Are you kind of like. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely good at biting my tongue. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, again, I think, you know, just upbringing not really being a you know you hear some kids and they're like yelling at their parents and I was always just like what <laughs> what do you mean is that allowed <laughs> it's like and now would you yell at your parents no <laughs> no good good I mean it's never good to yell at parents anyway no, I, feel I like... mean I've yelled at my parents I'm yes. only human but, but not no. like 
bring us a sandwich, mom. Like (laughs) that kind of casual. Yeah, it was always much more the respectful thing. So I think I actually had to get past a lot of overachieving. Yeah. That expectation was definitely set. So there was this idea of respect or doing your job well or being well regarded in those things. And it really, I think for a long time, it held me back because you get a job that's meant to just pay rent Mm. and suddenly like all of my emotional energy is going into like not letting these people down or picking up as many shifts as I can or, you know, pouring this drink as well as possibly can be poured. (laughs) That's not sustainable. No. So definitely biting my tongue has not been too much of a problem. What yeah. is a problem is just not saying something offhandedly stupid. I definitely do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was not aware I was meant to bite my tongue at that point, but I betrayed myself. Okay. <laughs> but usually um, you can respond in a way that is not particularly polite in those situations. Yeah. And most people who have given you a bit of flack take that better. Yeah. So it's not so much about like, you know, minding your P's and Q's and someone's there being a little bit off color. It's like usually the people who are being a bit off color respect you a bit more if you give them a bit of shit about it. Yeah. I mean, like I I always, the thing is, and I think it does, you know, like it's been reminded to me often that it does come easier to me is I can tell people pretty much, you know, blank up, right? Like, this is what I think. This is how our opinion is. Mm. But, um, yeah, I do feel like the problem also on the other side is I don't like offending people. No. I'm very much like, I want to be as nice to you as possible. Mm. But how do I tell you the truth without sounding like an ass? I've had a lot of those conversations <laughs> recently, actually. More yeah. more from um, a few other people saying yeah. that they are particularly prone to saying the truthful thing because that's best intentions and then it not going down so well and it's like well what's the line there then do i disrespect you by saying what you want to hear yeah or do i tell you the truth and then risk losing your friendship yeah Mm. which i think is a fine line to walk because i mean like as a creative like, have you, how good are you, like, when do you know that it's a safe space to be like, okay, I can now 100% tell you as a person that I, you know, that I know you trust me and mm. you, I know you're not going to take super offense to it. How do you know when that's safe for you to say something? Oh, that's kind of shit. Or that's not the best idea that you could have. Yeah. I think it depends on <laughs> a the relationship you've got yeah. with that person and also the context is super important yeah. as well because i don't think it's ever really worth saying outright that is it okay let's go with the <laughs> ideas situation like that idea is terrible no i because I, sometimes okay. it, you go that idea is terrible and then 2 years later the most popular feature film that came out that season is basically that idea and I know. you're like wait what so in the right context certain things so it's like before being critical i have learned how to categorize why that. yeah so it's okay. like maybe that idea is shit because you're telling us what you <sighs> think should be in the script a week yeah. before we're starting shooting that's why it's terrible not for any creative merit just because <laughs> 
it doesn't suit this context. Um, yeah. Or if something doesn't, you know, just to have a justification. And I think that's why I really like directing. Yeah. Because it's all about speaking someone else's language on their terms because to communicate something, you're not trying to explain it logically. Yeah. You're trying to find a way that they will understand from their own yeah. point of view. Because with, with Domesticated, which is the web series that you recently worked on, w- did you direct that or did you produce that? What was your... I directed that. Did you? So I... how was that as a challenge for yourself? That was very... That was a big challenge, actually. <laughs> I mean, it was the biggest thing that I had done to date. It's basically half a feature. Yes. Um, so I came on board just to direct... And then um, as we were reworking things, I ended up co-writing. So I co-wrote that with um, Valentine Lang, Mm -hmm. who had previously had a stage play based on the same characters. Um, And so we wrote it as a web series and I was just going to direct it. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger um, and I jumped on to help produce it along with a couple of other absolute lifesavers who came on with us. We had Alex Moretti and Lockie Beatty who also produced and, yeah, we had an amazing team and I don't really ever remember being as busy as I was at Uh that point, which is – that's – yeah, I definitely remember many times being very busy. So that's a that is a call. Um, <laughs> but the, we shot for ten days, and I d- was just stoked. Like, really, that ten days straight. You're just running on no sleep. You're just like everything's going wrong, but also you're just seeing what's coming through the monitor. And our DOP Jack McAvoy was amazing. Hamish Elliott did production design and just like went so above and beyond. Yeah. And it was just stepping into my house. So we shot most of it in the share house I was living in. What? <laughs> um, and then later one of my housemates shot a short film in that house as well. So I think we uh, we really wrung all of the life out of that house that we could. <laughs> it's just all over everything that was shot in 2020. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it was just the best. Because it looks, from the stills that I've seen and the snippets that I've seen of Mm. it, it looks fantastic. Like, I think what impressed me was just, because I heard about it way back when you post about it. I think you told me bits and pieces about it Mm. um, in passing conversation. But it was kind of one of those sort of like, oh, okay, I'll see this when this emerges and stuff like that. But I didn't even suspect kind of how big it would look and be. Yeah. Because it kind of just felt like this little corner of something just like, you know, evolving and, and then suddenly it was just out there. And yeah. it was just like, you know, and it feels like, and I think the thing that it looks like, it doesn't feel like a web series. Like it doesn't look, like it feels like those, you know, Australian independent stuff, but it doesn't mm. feel automatically like this is like production cost or, you know, this is like on the lower end of, of the spectrum. It just kind of just kind of covers this sort of amazing look to it and it's really nicely made and it feels very authentic, yeah. which I think... Kudos to you for directing it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, I mean, did that also kind of surprise you when you came together, like when it was coming through the rushes and everything in the edit? Were you kind of su- like even more surprised as it went along? Because like that euphoria of, oh, it has gone. Mm, it yeah. has like 
succeeded in what I wanted it to do. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely um, mainly like the first kind of bits of feedback coming through Yeah, was really satisfying because a lot of what I had wanted from the get-go was what I was hearing back. So that yeah. was really satisfying. Um, but we also had a few uh, trials and tribulations through shooting. Uh, one of our main actors uh, got a job on Royal Flying Doctor Service. Oh. We'd already shot a day with her. Um, so we did some recasting and we ended up with Megan Smart, who is incredible, um, and then had to kind of rewrite one of the scenes to not shoot that one again because we'd already been able to have uh. a look at how it was going and then we were yeah, refitting everything in. Um, but it was also a very quick process from the script to the shoot. Right, okay. So if it had have been a script that was completely finished before we even started thinking about producing it, yeah, I think a lot would be different. So the edit process is, yeah, the final product definitely veers away from um, the script that we were shooting off. Wow. So it was a really interesting process to troubleshoot those things in the edit um, and come up with some things that I don't think we would have come up with in the scripting process. Mm. Um, definitely learned a lot. Uh, Alex Donner um, was an absolute saint and Zoomed in with me while we were doing this edit remotely through wow. all the big lockdown times. And yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. But it was super exciting having it all come together and then we had Jay Pine um, composing on it and it just got better and better. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the, did you, that as a big project as well feel like a big pat on the back for yourself? Like did it feel like a glorified achievement for yourself in the little, little L's? No, no. I have <laughs> that classic thing of like as soon as something's finished, I'm just sort of like, on to the next thing. <laughs> oh, really? So you're yeah. just like straight zoom out. I'm really, really bad at kind of like settling into that last thing and basking in it for a little while. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, I've still got, I've got a couple of the production design things. We had some street signs and things. There was Duck Parade and yeah, yeah, Russell yeah. Street and things. And I've still got those and it's all that thing. I think my phone background is still the logo and all those things. It's like, uh, <laughs> it was just such a huge part of my day-to-day -day life Yeah, for a couple of years. Yeah, it did. Yeah. It did feel like, because... We we sort of mutually met. Well, we kind of re I reached out to you. Mm. This is initially how we met, and I reached out to you doing the charity thing. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it was kind of in between all of that happening mm. as well. Like, how did you find the time to do other things in all, <laughs> in all of that? Or are you just like that kind of person who just likes packing your schedule? <laughs> I like to, I feel like if I stay in motion, I stay in motion. <laughs> and then, you know, slowing down starts to get scary because that's when, you know. That's when real life happens. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> keep that away. Because <laughs> you, I, I mean, like, do you ever see yourself kind of like settling down and staying at one place for a while? Like, or are you always kind of like feeling like you want to be on the move? I think I'll always feel like I want to be on the move, but if I become like super rich, then ask <laughs> me again because I'm pretty sure that would be pretty fun. <laughs> like what to stay in? A... Yeah, just have a sick place to live. 
and you can just, you know, do whatever you want. Spend a lot of money doing fun things. And it's like, yeah, I guess that's settled. Because, I, mean, I mean, like, yeah. yeah. I guess it's like, you know, having a roof above your head. Because you were living out of a van for... Yeah, that, I mean, that was a choice. Yeah, I know, which is... <laughs> Let's uh, let me just clarify. Yeah, yeah. You didn't just like no, happen I didn't just to find it, start squatting in a van. Yeah, yeah. You chose to live in a van. You yes. kitted out your van yes. so you could live in it. Which I mean, like, also was kind of a feat. Like that was kind of a dream of yours to do was to travel in your van and kind of like go places and and see sort of sights. I think the challenge of it was mostly um, what appealed to me, <laughs> for sure. Like, yeah. the building of it. Absolutely. I've always loved doing that. Just, you know, taking things apart and putting them back together again, that sort of thing. Uh, so building it and learning the solar system and all of the woodwork that I needed to do. And so you learned the stars, the constellations, and then how to build a van. Is that what you're saying when you say solar system? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Shame. Very far away from all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly more like, you know, amps and what. Yeah, and yeah. And all of those bits and pieces. It's less exciting yeah. stuff. It's not space. Yeah, <laughs> where the red wire goes and where the black wire goes. God, that would have been fun. That was great. Did you yeah. feel like a real mechanic then? Uh, I felt like a little bit of an imposter, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're looking something up on YouTube, like while holding the bits. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't really feel all that real. But then again, that's been like most jobs that I've ever had. You're kind of looking up this, how to do the thing while being asked to do it. So I don't think that really ever goes away. Do you just like secretly have your phone out and just on a YouTube site, quick search? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've done that. I've done that so many times while my boss is looking at me just going, let me just double check. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there seems to be an allergy in a lot of management positions against figuring out how to do something yourself. Yeah. If you can ask someone else to figure out how to do it. And it's like you do that literally in front of the person who is asking you to do the thing. You Google exactly what they've asked you. Yeah. And then you do it. And they're like, oh, you're a genius. And you're like, I'm just a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's also kind of interesting because our, our like generation are probably considered the laziest, which is, you know, like... <laughs> I love that that sends you. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Because, you know, I don't know what you you were born in because I was born in 92. Mm-hmm, 93. Um, oh, you're a 93 child. Yes. Um, so we were in there kind of like sort of before the millennial kind of big boom happened, but everyone still calls us millennials. No, I think we are solidly millennials. Are we? Okay. And then there's Gen Z. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. It all gets a bit confusing yeah, after that. Millennials are like, I'm pretty sure they're late 80s. Yes, I must be like yeah. eighty nine to ninety something. Yeah, something like that. Um, but yeah, I just remember that you know even now I've like I've my entire um, eight to nine years working in television, I've learned on the job. Mm-hmm. I have never learned anything. I worked in theatre before that, and I learned everything in the job. Yeah, like even with audio, I've learned it by getting microphones, buying stuff, and then just trying it out. Mm-hmm. Like there's no proper way to learn than just trying yeah. and figuring it as as you go. But I mean, like, that's the thing. No one likes that. Mm. No one – I feel like back when, our, you know, like the, you know, people who are like 40 or 50, mm. like manuals, and they're like reading manuals. And I think mm. because we have access to everything and we just like trial and error, mm. it's so much easier to work out where something could go wrong and kind yeah. of fault find that 
because I have a very fault fine brain. Like, how can I solve and and come to a resolution mm. quickly in the few minutes that I've got or seconds? Like, are you the same? Where you're just like, okay, well, it doesn't. You like, how are you with panicking or the triage kind of brain? Oh n- yeah, no, I thrive in chaos. <laughs> <laughs> So you're like chaos, absolutely. No, I'm a. Uh, I like to call it a problem finder. Oh, <laughs> because you have to do that before you can solve them, and I think it's actually a much less uh, appreciated thing. Yes, because there's only so much you can do if you don't have all the information. So I would much rather go into a situation and be like, "Here are all of the potential things that could really trip us up here," and then we know. And then yeah. you can forecast things. You can be like, yeah, but we're going to take our chances with that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but then you've at least got a bit of a lay of the land. So, yeah, I definitely like to find all of the possible problems. <laughs> and uh, that's not always appreciated at the yeah. start. But then as you get into more like, you know, filmmaking is very much, it's just better to know what's going to go wrong up front. Yeah, it is. So you can just forge forward and be like it'll all be fine but it's much better if like i was saying with figuring out what all the different departments do or need i would much rather spend more time doing that and then work some things out on the fly on the day that are less dependent on well other departments are less dependent on knowing that um but i've also been super lucky in that sense to work with some amazing actors because that's usually the bit that you end up falling on is yeah doing the work with the actors on the day is the less pre-planned thing and mm. it, it's great if you can get rehearsal time but low budget world a lot of the time you can't um but like so i had uh travis jeffrey and uh james sweeney in domesticated and they work great together. They were hilarious. They would sit down with sides that we'd given them the night before on a couple of circumstances and sit down that day and come into the scene and be like, yeah, we've got, we've got some stuff. Okay. <laughs> and they would just go in and absolutely nail it. Things that weren't in the script, they were just like, yeah, this is what works. This is what goes. Um, so I've been really lucky to work with some very talented actors. Yeah that can do that because there's certainly situations where you're working with actors who are less flexible or maybe more self-conscious or um, even just actors that are more intense yeah, and really need that space to be like this sacred area. Um, yeah. That can definitely then take you away <laughs> from wearing all the hats. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, uh, I've sort of been in a position where I've sort of worked on a lot of like especially self-produced stuff i generally kind of pick the actors who i know i'm going to get along with Mm -hmm. like it's always like oh okay i know i'm gonna like working with them they're generally friends but i've i've definitely also worked with some like i wanted i don't want to say terrible actors because Mm. like acting is such a subjective matter but i've definitely worked with actors who have a specific way of being directed or a specific way they see the script Mm. and that is always kind of especially with low budget you don't always get the actors that you know you don't always find the actors that you're like this is the perfect casting choice Mm -hmm. you sometimes get locked into an actor who's like they'll do Mm. they're not 
my top tier choice, but my top tier choice will cost me this much and I'm hoping for this much. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a balancing act. And I've definitely been in those situations where I'm like, oh, okay, you're not giving me quite what I want. Mm. Or no matter how many times you say it, they're just never going to – they have to sit with the script for ages before they gestate and actually finally get it. Like I've had actors come to me later and be like, oh, I get what you mean now. <laughs> like months, months have gone by and they're yeah. like, oh, I get it. I'm like, oh, do you now? And then they explain it. I'm like, yep, you actually get it now. Mm-hmm. Whereas before you've had meetings and they come with you like with 10 different ideas and you go, no, no, no. Like it's it's very kind of like subjective and divisive. Um, but I mean like with, you know, like I, I don't know if your experience with directing and stuff um, like has always been that. But you, like when you go, like were younger and stuff, did you always find that a bit more daunting to kind of go into directing or was it kind of just always your – um, as you as you say, many of hats and trajectory. <laughs> well, I don't think I really did much directing um, before I I worked in advertising for a little while. That surprises uh, me. Yeah, well, just to get like foot in the door. Yeah, coming right. From okay. An acting background, not a film school background. Of course. I was just like, how do I just get into the industry? Yeah. Um, and I got a job as a PA in an advertising company. And I quit after four months. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was, where was I going with that one? Oh, I just got out of that because I didn't want to end up directing ads and being like, you know, 50 and still never having made my first short film. Like, because you just get caught up in making money yeah. and doing that and you get the next job and you do the next job. Yeah. So I just went, look, I'm just going to make something and just didn't write a script, just storyboarded it. So it was just just a storyboard script and was like, you can just make up whatever dialogue you want on the day. Um, And that was my wearing all of the hats. It was like a stoner zombie (laughs) B-movie, like very silly, very funny. Uh, we had heaps of blood and guts. Um, <laughs> so I was like stirring those up at home at some stupid hour in the morning in the kitchen, just being like, no, not the right consistency. Uh, <laughs> but uh, doing that and then we, I would do some improv kind of skits just to get them made. Um, those sorts of things are really good exercises in letting an idea gestate over the edit. and Yeah being flexible with what you're expecting and being open to finding some gold where yeah. you could never have thought to make it happen. So instead of being the person who's got a vision and you're going to paint that vision and bring it to life in exactly the way you want it to, mm. I just really love working with all of these people who ha- are also crazy enough to want to do film because <laughs> everyone's got something that they bring or a different perspective or even mm. something that doesn't make it in might have been the funnest moment of the day and for the rest of the day the tone's set or something like that. Yeah. So I just really think that has been great, working with improv and just being open to uh, just saying yes once you're all on the same page. Yes. I really love a solid pre-production. Lots of PDFs. Yeah, you know what you know what I appreciated the first time I met you, which I I don't know. I remember just being like cuz I I remember sitting there and I thought it was kind of like at this weird stage of my career where I was like I know I'm capable of this thing. Mm. 
it doesn't sound like that long ago. It was only last year. But <laughs> but I, I felt like I was like, I'm at this stage of my career where I was like, okay, well, I know what I'm doing. Now it's to convince people that I don't know as well mm. that I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And I was like, I'd convinced a few people, but mostly just actors. Mm. Like it did seem to be that most of my connections were just actors and a couple of sound friends. And that was that. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm meeting someone who is more of a tech and let's see how this goes. Mm. Let's see if she believes anything of the bullshit I'm about to come out with. And you did sit down there. And I think the thing that you, you I really appreciated off the, off the get-go was how, like, honest you were and how much you were just like, yep, this works. I like this idea. Um, and, yep, I understand what page you're on and what, it, what it's going to achieve. And cool. Yep. And it was just sort of very straightforward. I mean... I don't know if it was anything of what we said on the day that convinced you as well, other than the word charity. Mm. Um, but yeah, it does. It does feel like you know that you were just very clear and concise when we were there, and it was just like because you know the you know my friend, my coworker Shannon and I are just like two big people in t-shirts, and we're like, I hope, I hope, <laughs> hope someone likes our idea because <laughs> we think it's kind of interesting, and then pray to work hope that it works but that's how i've always approached filmmaking as well is just i think bullshit your pictures to people and hope that they like it because it, it, it there are good pictures but it's just like the nerve-wracking thing because i've had compliments of people who have said your work's really good but i never believe it myself because it's sort of like this weird back in the head like thing of just oh i don't have an ego so therefore it's just okay mm. i'm gonna move on to the next thing and just hope the next thing's better um like i don't know how you judge that in other people's work as well as your own like input like do you look at other people and just go i can see their panic and and she, or or you're oh, very yeah. good at like as in like look at someone else and be like oh they are panicky yeah 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 <laughs> Because yeah. I'm really intrigued now what your first impression of me was like. <laughs> Basically, this is where I'm getting to the point of the question. Yeah. Um, I mean, you definitely sounded busy. <laughs> I mean, I work a full-time job as yeah, well. Like exactly. So I was like, yeah, this is yeah, valid. Um, but you knew the people you were working with. Yeah. And you had a clear idea of what you wanted and all of those parameters were already in place, which, I mean, I've signed up to much bigger jobs with – much less information <laughs> so yeah how does that work because i just hope because i feel like it's rude not to come to a fully or at least 90 percent prepared yeah. with a pitch doc yeah of some sort of like this is what i want to do yeah um because i don't know it's just been grilled into me yeah um i do think the lower the budget the more uh clear and prepared you have to be really to make a good impression on yeah. people and keep them happy and get them on board because <laughs> it's just so easy to just misstep and then you've lost their interest yeah. they might feel bad about leaving so they don't drop out of something but you've really like it's work being on set yeah it's it's hard so people aren't just going to do that for very little money and be happy with it also being a bit of a shit show yeah they want clear and concise and yeah. and fast yeah um yeah. if it's chaos and everything's <laughs> going wrong but they've got clarity they know they'll be out of there by a certain time they yeah. know that the next day is going to run a certain way yeah 
then people will be much better about it's just letting people know what's happening because you you don't even get your own food on sets like catering is given to you you're told when you can eat you're told all of these things just knowing those things makes people feel much more secure and i just think it's like the bare minimum yeah it it's like a good call sheet like oh good call sheet and a call sheet that you can rely on is accurate (laughs) it's my favorite I don't think we'll ever get to that lofty goal. No, but I, I think <laughs> we try. It, I think it's like the worst ever set, and this was you know years ago. But it was a one I tried to run, and it was during my junior years of un- inexperienced. And we had been there since six in the morning. It was an unpaid shoot, so no one was getting paid, mm. and we didn't wrap till like seven that evening. Mm. And like, luckily, I'm still friends with majority of people on that set who absolutely adore me. But they they just went. Because we didn't eat till 3 p.m. And I was like, that's a bit... Like, I remember even going to myself going, if I was on this set, I would not appreciate... Like, I'd want to kill everyone. And that's exactly... I've been on those sets. I've been on sets where I'm like... But I also kind of understand. Like, I do get that side of my brain where it's like, I understand this is difficult, Mm. but there is a level of respect that you need to show even if you're paying people Mm. there's a level of respect that you just need to show people and clarity Mm. that is just needs to be above and beyond um yeah because what people don't like there is a idea in film that people will work overtime and do what's needed because that is how professional sets run it's like if they're going overtime and they need to get the shot then they will go yeah. overtime and you have to stay there but they're getting paid overtime yeah and then they're getting granted their turnaround and it's an absolute nightmare for production to continually make that work with the budget and keep yeah. everything running and that's why these people are like yeah I'll work an extra 2 hours cuz I'm getting paid overtime yeah and cuz everything will be sorted out and because I have accommodation and I have catering and I have this so on the lower budget ones, weirdly though, I do think when you're getting paid nothing, <laughs> it's this weird psychological thing. You're almost more willing to do more. Yes. It's like if someone gives me 50 bucks for the day, I am going to do the bare minimum. <laughs> I'm going to show up and I'm going to breathe <laughs> and then I might have lunch. <laughs> like it's almost, it's that we, if you get paid a little bit, you're like, yeah. oh, well, that's how much it's worth. Yeah. So that's how much I'm going to give you. Psychologically, I mean, most of the time these are our friends and you just help everyone out and yeah. make everything run well. But if I'm getting paid nothing, then you, it's this weird thing where you're like, well, I kind of owe it to myself to just make the best out of this and yeah, have some experience or try some different things or talk to some new people and you stay an extra five hours <laughs> because it's at that level of, oh, nobody's getting paid anything. Yeah. So it is like in a good way, amateur hour. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think <laughs> I do like that aspect of filmmaking where you can sort of get that, com- you know, compartmentalization where you can be like, okay, well, I'm going bonkers. Cool. This is going to be the best project of bonkers I'm ever going to make. <laughs> but at the same time, Man, I have, yeah, I'm the same. Like someone ha- can give me money and I'll be like, no, nope, you get 10 photos out of me mm. and that's it. I'm going to just, if you want more, 
more money. Mm. Like it's it's that mentality. The more you get, the less you do, because <laughs> you don't. And it's not that you don't give a shit, but it's because you want to do other things with that money. I think that is the incentive. Is it's like once you're paid, you'd rather do the fun things in your life with said money, mm. or put it towards things that you want. Whereas if you're not getting paid, you it's yeah you kind of feel the incentive to do the best as possible yeah i feel that it's um you start to see what your time is being valued at and if that time is being valued at less than ten dollars an hour you start feeling a little bit like yeah that's a bit gross whereas if your time is literally not being valued at all you almost go into like well we're just hanging out on set kind of all doing something fun yeah. And you just treat it like, you know, as you would if you'd gone and done some other activity. Yeah. So it's it it is that awkward thing of getting paid a little bit. You would think, "Oh, that's better than nothing," but it's actually uh, there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, "I feel like it's insulting. I would rather ask a favor." Yeah. And then owe you one. Yeah. Then be like, "Hey, this is how much you're worth. 100%. And then, like, I feel like over my years of training, I probably owe so many people things. Mm-hmm. But I mean, also, yeah, 100%, because it's like I've done, I worked on a film edit for about a year, didn't get paid, like, mm. um, straight out of TAFE, everything. And I found out the color greatest didn't get paid either, but they got a bottle of scotch. I was like, well, that was more than anyone else on the entire set. Like, not even a thank you card for for anyone else. I was like, that's the bare minimum. Like, you could have just sent everyone a thank you. Like, nothing. Um, And I was like, and that's where, you you know, suddenly I was like, well, no. Like, you Mm. know, you, and I feel like it's always the, I don't know, when I do things for free or when I do them for completely, like, um, helping out friends, I do think there's got to be that understanding. There's got to be that level of oh, sympathy and empathy. Mm, yeah. And yeah. and sometimes, sometimes that just lacks abundance. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's also because in in the jobs that I've done, you know, and and like with yourself, I have worked and been in thankless jobs where no one does thank you, no matter how much effort you do, and no one goes, "Hey, you did a good job today." And you kind of have to be your own thank you person to be like. You did a good job. That didn't go to shit. Well done. Yeah. Um, because like I do a very obscure job as my day job, and explaining that to anyone, even in the film industry, mm. who doesn't work for TV, doesn't know what that is. Like it, it deals with completely separate things. So when everyone goes to me, oh, what do you actually do? I go, well, I do some editing, but that's not my full time job. Mm. But everyone then goes, oh, you're a film editor, mm. because I don't actually know what you're actual job is so it's easier to kind of just push you to a corner of producing editing and that is as far as you're like yeah (laughs) like i did you ever feel like that when you had jobs that you know people just go huh have you ever had like people just go what yes (laughs) (laughs) but also i had to do that um at the start so i went to work in post was actually the first thing that I kind of got into. Oh, Um, really? Yeah, post acting. Uh, I learnt how to do 3D modelling and animation, like computer animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. And I just really got obsessed with that. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, it's really Moorish. It's just this cool it's this program that you're working in 3D space and you've just got all of the different vertices and planes and you're just crafting these objects, but you have to do it like cleanly. You can't just like, yeah, and kind of mush it in here and make yeah, it yeah, all yeah. good because then they, um, it's all just in matte gray. And then yeah. like a Pixar character, say, they make a skin and that skin wraps around. That's horrifying. The, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's The way you it's sound. fascinating <laughs> though, because it's just things like learning about the textures. Mm. So if you shine a torch on your hand, you get the kind of translucent yeah. red coming through. That is wrapped over a plain matte gray thing. So it looks like the light is going through. Yeah but they've just programmed that material that's on the, the material that's on the outside yeah to react in a certain way so it's completely opaque but they make it have yeah. all of these different textures or if something's shiny or if something and then you just go and watch the lego movie and you're like oh my god <laughs> the talent of these people cuz it's insane <laughs> it's insane yeah, I mean, like, the moment you said the Lego movie, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They had, like, the little indents mm -hmm. of, like, people's marks yep. that your finger would leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always, <laughs> I get the sense that you have, like, ADD or ADHD. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, how did you pick that up? I mean, like, look, as an ADHD person myself mm. and the obsessive compulsive nature that that is you must know the ins and outs of literally every fucking detail not every detail no broad strokes or as far as i get into yeah. it and then i just like kind of make the rest of it up yeah so you can go on a tangent and just get away with it to a certain degree so like, as long as you know one more obscure fact than the guy next to you <laughs> when did, did you get diagnosed with it or did you sort of like, were you growing up with sort of like? No, no, I got a late diagnosis. Really? Yeah, so I was 26. <gasps> did yeah. you go to the, <laughs> I thought that was going to lead into this expeditional story. No. You're like, yep. Yeah. Um, did you go to the doctor and be like, hey, what's wrong with me? Or was it kind of just a, like the doctor just one day told you? No, so I... Uh, had from like end of high school till about 23 I was quite sick and it ended up all being stomach ulcers which is wow great. 23 25 that's a long time yeah yeah and I it, you know it just keeps getting passed off as it all being in your head or it just being stress or and it's like mm. so the female diagnosis like the know. female diagnosis yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes yes it's all in your head yeah yes yeah uh so i finally got uh referred to a gastroenterologist and they were like it's just stomach ulcers have some antibiotics and i was like wait what and in three weeks like my entire life was different wow yeah it's crazy that's a change in shift. Yeah. And then a couple of months later, I went back to my GP and was like, I still feel crazy. And <laughs> she was like, have you considered maybe that, okay, I'm going to get you to see this psychiatrist who deals with ADHD. And yeah, just went in and he was like, well, 
doctor. <laughs> Here are some drugs. Take them. Tell me if you feel better. And I was like, I uh, yeah, I feel I feel better. So that's yeah. That's do you and do you still take dro- these drugs? I do. So what do you take? I take Dexies. Ah, oh, so is that like Ritalin? Yes, but slightly different. So I started on Ritalin, um, but Ritalin's like I know it's, it's a little like ooh. Um, if though you know they're they're words. Those were descriptions. Uh, uh, Seeing your hands, I knew exactly what you meant. It's just a little bit nails on a chalkboard. It's like you get things done, but you're just so hyper aware that you're doing it in an unnatural state. Yeah. Yeah. So I found Dexies were much more um, calming, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, it's. I still take the short acting ones because more times than I am proud of, I've forgotten that I've taken my dose. And taken it again, so I only really want to deal with that for max four hours. I don't really want the long acting one, and then that like, day is just a write off. Yeah, um, fair enough. Because <laughs> um, that would be a nightmare. Yes. Um, no, that's that's really interesting. Because I mean, like for me, I haven't taken anything for it since I was about eighteen, mm. um, and I feel like it's only really impacted my life probably in the last few years Mm. um not because of the lack of like you know mental stimulation or everything but i'm so easily hyper fixed Mm. or hyper distracted Mm -hmm. and i think that there's a common misdiagnosis with adhd and add which is we are most easily distracted by everything and you know the world is an oyster but we are the most hyper focused people in on the planet Mm -hmm. we're actually uh, and I think that makes us more acutely aware of things like social skills and social cues mm. um, because I often see people who are not neurodiverse do way worse at mm. functioning as a human being mm-hmm. than I see anyone of neurodiverse like lifestyles because, oh my God, I have seen so many people just fuck up life <laughs> so quickly. And yeah, I feel like it's just a kind of thing where it's, just, you know, I went to my GP not that long ago and was like, oh, if you want to take Ritalin, you can. Mm. I know it's affected people um, quite positively, but I also take Lovin to produce um, anxiety. Mm. So it's like as an anxious person, I do wonder if like, if I do go back on a Ritalin, it will reduce that anxiety because anxiety hit me Kind of after I stopped taking medication, mm. it was like, oh, my sheer paranoia came back. And I guess I did look into this. There is some correlation. Mm. They do kind of go. Have, yeah, you comorbidity know, between anxiety and, yeah. and depression. And yeah. And ADD. It's, it's fun because my dad has depression. So it's like, I think it's a little <laughs> bit of a. Pot. <laughs> yes. Um, so much fun. But, you know, it's one of those things that I was like, oh, okay, where does how do I refocus? How do I relearn mm. everything? And I think, like, it it has been great in some benefits, but I do also notice when I jump from from idea to idea to idea mm. very quickly and keeping track of that all the time. Like, did you feel like that pre-meds where you were just like boink, 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 boink to when you're, you were thinking about new ideas and new uh, um, project things to do? Yeah, I think I've always uh, thought more in connections mm. between things. Um, like I did well at school and I don't think it was specifically for any other reason other than I did a lot of essay-based subjects and 
if I learn how something functions, then I don't have to learn the facts and figures <laughs> to know that off the top of my head. If yeah. I've got the big picture, then you can kind of reverse engineer it. Yeah. So it's just was more that's how I'm comfortable learning things and mm. then that fits in well with learning things by myself because it's really it it's much easier to get a lot of repetition about how the big picture thing works and then like you were saying before trying things and figuring out how that works for you and what doesn't and you get better at guessing what will and won't work yeah because you're like, well, this is similar to that, or I can see this kind of leading down that path, which then, so the connections-based thing has always been my way of thinking. So getting fixated on one concrete thing doesn't mm. often happen to me because it'll connect elsewhere before it's a fully formed thing that can begin. So really? I function way better working with people just in general, actually, like on projects with people, but actually just another person in the room. Yeah. It's almost like, oh, real world anchor. Yeah. You can focus better because there's just something else going on there. It's like listening to music Yeah, is just so helpful because it's like, yeah, if I don't have that going on, then a whole lot of other stuff's going to go on. You just it's like fill a stimulus. That yeah. Yeah. Um, I find the same when I'm writing. It's like if I don't have sort of some theme mm. or instrumental like song, I can't write for the life of me mm. um, because I'm like, oh, okay. But, I, you know, like when you write or when you come and drop ideas, like do you constantly like um, – do you talk to yourself out loud when you, you write sometimes? Because I do that and it's very weird, but I love doing it because I generally come up with great quotes mm. that could be used in the script. <laughs> I don't talk to myself out loud when I'm writing um, and I just <laughs> thought about, I was talking with a friend recently about the internal monologue question. Yeah. About whether or not you have an internal monologue and I was always like, well, I mean, I guess they just mean like, you know, like when you're reading a book, you, you know, you're reading the words as yeah. though they're being spoken kind of thing. Um, but I was talking to a couple of friends about it recently and they were like, no, like it's it's like in a movie, yeah, an internal monologue. I was like, I know what the definition of an internal monologue is, but I'm talking <laughs> about like what it's actually, you know, what it really is. And they were like, no, straight up, both of them said they have voices, like their voice in their head narrating everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm the weird one. I mean, I think it's like 20% of people don't have that, so it's not yeah. super weird. But, uh, yeah, I don't uh, – yeah, it's weird. It's oh. like I can think in words. It's not um, – what is it, anaphasia? Um, it's when people can't visualise things. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I don't know the technical term, but mm. I know what you're talking about, yeah. And those people tend to not – like not be able to think in words. Wow. So they actually do have to think however they think, either in a concept or a image or a color or vibe, and then translate wow. to words to say it out loud or to write it. And I was like, yeah, no, no definitely not that, but <laughs> I don't have a, a narrator going on. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, yeah, it's just so interesting. So 
because I don't have a I don't have a mini narrator in my head just like softly speaking to me, yeah. but I definitely have spoken out loud. Yeah, in my room, um, either filmed myself like just talking, you know, to the ether. Like I, I did do that- like voice memos that I record and then never listen to. Yeah. <laughs> It's very therapeutic. It's <laughs> just like, this will never see the light of day. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, but I used to do it on the way home, like on the way home from school. And I don't know if this was just because I felt like I was an anxious or, a, you know, a nervous kid. or um, And it was kind of like a, a social cue for myself. But I used to make up stories. So mm. on the way home, I would talk to myself out loud mm. to make a conversation and then I still do that bizarrely today. Mm. And but no, so many people don't do it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't out loud. I definitely like you know make up like dialogue scenes in my head. Well, that's you know, a, that's you comforting. One character doing this, and one character doing that. And you just like mentally having making up a little scene. <laughs> but yeah, you don't talk to yourself and be like. So, Al, what are you doing today? Well, Al, no, <laughs> no, I think it's part of the um, part of the whole like self self conscious thing. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like if I had have done that growing up as a kid, it would have been like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Like, yeah, I remember being like, I'm scared of singing in front of people. Really? Yeah. So, okay, let let's give me your top three fears, like your top well, three. Like scared fears. Well, now I feel like it's lame if I'm like having my photo taken and singing in front of people when there's like crocodiles out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are some, there are some wild <laughs> things out there. Um, we live in the city; it's fine. <laughs> we do, we do. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't long ago that I was like, I think I'm not going to walk on the beach tonight because I'm by myself here. No one's going to know if I die. <laughs> Because I've gotten eaten by a crocodile. Look, if a crocodile just rocked up on the beach and you got eaten, I would have been like, fair. <laughs> Far North Queensland, <laughs> there are signs everywhere. There are. Yeah. It is terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got singing. You've got, <laughs> you've got photos taken. Yeah. What would be your last one? Oh, just like, you know, staring into the void. <laughs> 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 what the void of space or the void of nothing? <laughs> the void of nothingness. God, you know, you, do you have like... an existential crisis? I feel emerging, like emerging. Oh, oh sorry, it's no. already it's already Permanent. fested. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's my companion. <laughs> it's how you sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> so comforting. Yeah. It's like, look at me. I'm gonna die one I day. I mean, have you seen uh, everything everywhere all at once? No, I'm. I'm. It's on my list. Well, okay, that's why I'm saying the void because I, I watched it last night. And it's... was it? It's. Mm, Mm, don't say too much. I am excited because, mm-hmm. uh, oh, that film looks so good. Yep. Um, but A24 also just make really good films. Oh, uh, they're hit and miss. They have generally started making good films. Yes. Um, and the other film I'm excited for them to make is Men, which is Alex Garland's next uh, film. Yeah. Which just looks fucking weird mm. um, because uh, I can't remember who it stars, but it stars two actors and one of them plays multiple versions and it's actually fucking terrifying um it's a horror film so if you like horror go and watch that excellent um but yeah i mean like i i think like you know it's interesting because can you sing i'm not tone deaf (laughs) (laughs) that's good yeah yeah um so you can hold a note yes but you don't feel comfortable no i feel like like, terrified what about hearing your own voice 
Is that terrifying as yeah, well? Yeah, it's weird. Because like you're on a podcast with me, and yeah, you're hearing. No. <laughs> this was okay. We'll admit it was a struggle to even get you locked down in a room. <laughs> I don't like planning ahead. No, you really don't. I really don't. I love you dearly, but you don't. Yeah, yeah. There we like, go. That's my third fear. Yeah, don't like planning. A- planning ahead. Oh, forward plans. I like you're a, you're a day by day kind of person. Mm-hmm. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> How my next of all question would be: How are you at commitment? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I don't like forward planning because I am very good at commitment. Right. So once I've committed to something, then that's it. I can't not do it. Mm-hmm. So that's why. So getting to the commitment, <laughs> that's where I'm like. I just want to see you in a court of law trying to go, just getting to the commitment was the hard bit. I I didn't want to say no, but, you know, also. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that would not stand up. You'd be so fast down the plug hole. Absolutely. Um, But, I mean, I do also make rash decisions, which are massive commitments as well. You know, like moving into a van. Yeah. I mean... Signing signing contracts left, right, and centre. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Just you know, or just saying like, yes, I'll do that without any contract. Or yeah, I know you. To go off. <laughs> I mean, how do you gauge that? How do you know when a project is worthwhile to you, or do you just leap? <laughs> well, right now, um, I don't have to leap so much because I actually do have a bit of priority direction because so okay. I'm working in reality TV. And I really like having that separation from narrative because it yeah. does actually feel like my job can be separate yeah. to my hobby. Yeah. And there's so many more creative roles in reality TV. Yeah. Because they are creating it on the go. So whereas a lot of the time in narrative, there's only a few people who are creative. Yeah. So um, and I also like the people in reality are great. They Honestly, gen- they generally are. Yeah, because huh. they're just all like everyone's just there to do their job. Like, everyone likes the same sort of thing. Everyone's a similar kind of personality. Just you know, all kind of wanting to go towards doing this sort of madness. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a good time. Uh, so uh, because I want to go towards the editorial department, yeah, I've definitely been trying to get um, more of the editorial roles, uh, which means kind of confronting that thing of saying no to things. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, definitely is a yeah, weird feeling. Um, I, I like to be able to say yes to things, and especially when it's job things, I think I feel like it's uh, irresponsible or <laughs> I would need a really good reason to say no to someone yeah. offering me a job. Um but I was getting offered jobs that were further down the road in production, which is more the admin organizational side of things. Yeah. And with ADHD, uh, it's actually it's really taxing for me yeah. to do organizational admin work, emails, that sort of thing. It's, And I just found it so interesting learning more about the brain structure because it's an also an emotional regulatory um, system that's being affected. Mm. It's like it. It feels emotionally taxing. Yeah, 
So I'm like not only forcing myself to focus really hard at doing this thing that gives me no dopamine. So my brain's kind of like, don't do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Um, you will die. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> um, I'm also trying to like get past having a tantrum because <laughs> my brain is just having a tantrum that I have to do this. <laughs> and why are you making me do this? It's like straight up like my brain is hangry <laughs> and I'm just forcing it to keep not eating. And it's just oh like, my God. Um, so I've definitely never been as exhausted as long-term admin yeah. work. It's wow. Just, yeah, just does not work with my brain. That's really interesting. Mm. I mean, like, cause I mean, I don't love reading emails, but I'm, 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 <laughs> but I do like responding to them. <laughs> <laughs> all emails? Not all emails. No, it's quite funny though because I think as a person who likes writing emails, a lot of people have this tendency to never respond, and mm. my favorite thing is when you write a follow up email of just. Hey, everyone, just a reminder, please respond to these emails because they are really useful for you to actually respond and for me to keep track of everything. Yeah. Because I I think the worry, the, the thing I love and the thing I hate is how many people's etiquette in emails is so rubbish. Mm. It's like there's no structure. People don't say, they just go, yep, because they're clearly on the move. Mm. They just go, yep. It's like a text message. Oh, man. So my least favorite thing is this is why I hate emails, I think, because <laughs> it's getting emails where you've, like, asked a few questions and they're like, yep, sounds good or something like that. Yeah, it's like vague. What, what do you – especially if you're if, – if they're, like, in a higher position than you because you're like, well, well, now I just look like a moron, don't I? Yeah. You're just what, – what, what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> I uh... – I I think it's also like it it's just the thing of uh, explaining to people because it happens to me in my day to day job, which is explaining to people what I do is the hard bit, but explaining to people that I work with who are above me in the pay grade and even like hierarchy and just going, so you need to tell me the information that I need to know in order to make the thing that you want happen, but they go oh. So you can't just do it. I'm like, well, no, I don't know what you're thinking. I am not in your brain and nor do I know who is out there in the field requiring to call me. Because if I get a call last minute, I'm not going to know who, what, when, where, why and how unless they tell me and then they go, oh, didn't you know? I'm like, well, no, because the hierarchy just didn't respond to an email and just go, the hierarchy. yeah, it's just like, yep, sounds good. Cool. All right, I uh, guess I'll make a call on this and inevitably it'll be wrong because I don't have all the information and then I get in trouble for it. Which like, which I feel like always falls down to the middle of like our kind of roles and our capacities. Um, and look, we're, <laughs> we're like in that era of our life where it's where easier scapegoats for older like um people or you know where you are in certain demographics um and i feel like just because i've worked so long in a corporation it is like that funnel effect um where no matter what you tell people they don't listen and then they get surprised when something doesn't work and they go oh you should have told me and i'm like i did 
50 times, but you know, just. I did learn from the last <laughs> job I was in just to put everything in an email. It does help. Yeah. I had a great manager who was just like, you know, would either talk to you face to face and mm. I do way better face to face. Just having some sort of something to remember what. What you're doing. No, not what I was doing. But like if someone's giving me a bunch yeah. of instructions, yeah. if it's on the phone, I will need to write them down. If it's face-to-face, I'll probably do okay. Yeah. <laughs> but every single conversation we would have, it was like, great, I'll put that in an email and send it through to you. It would just be like a recap of conversations. And I'm like, true, that is that is how production people keep track of all of the things that are going on because mm. it's – yeah and 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 what i love is my favorite thing is when someone goes oh i just don't need to ask this question it's in a previous email please check these emails because no no one reads no one reads your emails it's like my favorite thing is everyone just you know it's like when you send a script out or you or you send any information there and go oh i haven't got the script i'm like check your emails mm. and they go oh oh there it is it went to my junk mail i'm like do you not? Like, I continuously check my spam on a daily basis. Well, you know, I definitely <laughs> don't. I'm not, I, I'm, not a, I'm not an email you know, I'm not an email aficionado. You're not a, you know, the interesting thing is you work, in a, you work as particularly like a, a techie person. Like a, you know. No, most of the time I'm not doing tech stuff. Really? These yeah. days? No, but just in general. So you're not a techie person. You always struggle me as a techie person. You built a van. Yeah. Oh, sorry, YouTube helped you build a van. YouTube did help me build a van. I think it's it's definitely the equipment. Right. Like, I, just unless I go to film school or buy a whole kit, <laughs> like, how else am I going to get to use the cameras yeah. that people are using? And, yeah, it's just... Are that's... you always astounded by everyone's talent when you go to set then? When, like, someone just does something and you're like... No, because it's 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 there's definitely a reusing uh, approach to crew. Yes. So everyone is doing this for like ten hours a day, six days a week, for like fifty weeks of the year. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's not like oh my god, how did you get that good? It's like no, I've, I've seen you guys just they just do it all Every, all the, the time. time. So it's just second nature. <laughs> I'm definitely astounded when I go on narrative sets and there's guys that are just like you know lighting with two lights and yeah some natural light and like just being like yeah and here yep yeah, there we go and you're just like that is beautiful <laughs> yeah. like how did it look so schmick yeah um yeah i mean like i i definitely f- feel like it's, it's it's like the thing of like um my favorite thing is you have a camera and everyone goes, oh, you know, a camera's easy. Like, and I'm like, it's not. You have to kind of know what you're doing with the camera. Every photographer is critical of another photographer. was like, it's a running thing. And, you know, I always think that people who shoot on, like, they take a photo on their phone. I'm like, I can tell what's a phone photo and what's a actual camera and, and mm. so forth. But I feel like once I, I've got a film knowledge in my back of my head and I had a dad who was a photographer. Mm. So I kind of like weirdly know all this stuff. Um, but lighting was something I learned myself. Mm. So I didn't have like this manual. I just 
borrowed friends' lights and started going, oh, yeah, that'll do, and bought a flecky and was like, that'll do, mm. you know, and learnt from trial and error to what's not working, what doesn't look good. But, yeah, I'm still amazed when, you know, people pull out a camera, like, you know, pull out their camera and then they just instantly just flick through all the settings. I'm like, oh. Mm. Yeah. Like, and I shouldn't be amazed by this because I do it myself, but I'm like, oh, every time someone does a skill, and I don't know why, but it's just like you could – you know, one of my friends, um, she does editing um, for a production house, and I was like looking at looking at our old films. I'm like, God, you're actually really good. Yeah. I was like sitting there going, and she was like, Oh, really? And I'm like, Yeah. But I, you know, just like on a glance, yeah. Like I was like, Oh wow, you do have skills. You do have, and it's just you know something that I don't look at my own work and necessarily be like, Yeah, I see it. But everyone else sort of sees each other's work and yeah. goes, You're really skilled at blah. Um, like, do people just, you know, go that to you and go, you're really knowledgeable at everything? (laughs) (laughs) No, I get more, um, I guess the sort of questions that you've asked, which is like, but what do you, (laughs) but how, and then how did you do this? And what, but when did you do this? It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's less, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're an enigma. Yeah. Are, <laughs> but a very lovable enig- enigma. Thank you. Cuz like it's it's never fully explained. No, it's never fully um, explained, which nothing ever is, really. No, it really is. No. I love that. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I'm going to ask you one big sort of final question. Mm-hmm. Um but and I know it's a, it's a, a bit of a taboo question because, you know, it's about committing in future. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. I know you won't feel fully comfortable oh. with it. Um, but where do you, like, with this reality stuff and, and you know, obviously you're you know, signing on to new contracts and stuff, is there a particular end goal that you really, really, really want to achieve? Yeah, for sure. In I the next be, 10 years? do story producing. Yeah? Yeah. So in reality in particular? Yeah. Well, I mean, the... <laughs> Reality, I yeah. want to do story producing. Yeah. I mean, I still want to direct my own stuff as well. Like doing little narratives and stuff like that. But I mean, like with the story producing and stuff, the main aim of travel and doing everything like that, that's the thing that now appeals to you. Isn't well, just a job, really. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pay for those making my own things somehow. I mean, what's the, what's the most expensive? Like, have you ever looked at a budget and gone, of your own product, uh, of something you've made yourself and gone, as in big? Yeah. Have you ever looked and just gone, that cost a lot more than I thought? No. That's good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's very realistic. <laughs> yeah. How do you actually, no, I do have a question though. How do you actually realistically set a budget for yourself on your own films? Um, you start with how much you're willing to spend. And then work backwards. And then you work backwards from there. Mm. You include your contingency. And that's, then most people... That's pretty much it. And then anything that you don't have, you don't have. <laughs> you figure it out. <laughs> you figure it out on the day. And Built-in uh... limitations. They're great. <laughs> I love that because it, <laughs> that's like something I, I feel like no one teaches you producing. No one teaches you how to make your own stuff. You no. just kind of learn. There are definitely a lot of good online resources. There are. Yeah. Like, um, what was that online film school thing, that um, website that exists? Is MZ? That's a good one. Don't know that one. Um, I mean, no film school. Yeah, that was one that I'm thinking. Um, but yeah, and then I just kind of like browse because there's lots of Studio Binder. Studio Binder is 
Very good. But I don't like its fees. I kind of like the free version. Oh, yeah. I just download what templates they have. Oh, Sorry, Studio Binder. No, you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Steal, <laughs> steal your PDFs. <laughs> you cost like 40 bucks a month. It's not worth your money. Yeah. <laughs> it's also like, it's, oh, there's such a weird, weird software. It's like I bought Final Draft and I was like, I don't really need to upgrade. Mm. I've upgraded like three times. I've never used Final Draft. It's good. It's good software. Do you use Celtex? No. Write a duet. What? I have not used that. Yeah. Is it good? I don't know. Make scripts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was my favorite response to the entire episode. Oh, my God. Um, I want to say thank you so much for joining <laughs> An My absolute, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So, Elle, where can people find you on the internet? Where can they stalk you? People can stalk me on Instagram. I'm old El Paso. Uh, <laughs> you can probably find me on Facebook as well. There's a domesticated. Yes. That's got its own Instagram, which is domesticated web series. And is that that's officially probably, out? That is officially out. So you can watch it on YouTube. <gasps> the link is um, on the Instagram page for domesticated web series. Or you can just search domesticated web series on YouTube and it'll be the one that's got a guy in a duck suit. It's very funny. Come and look at it. Yeah. yeah. So also, just go and support Elle. Yeah. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> um, thank you, though. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, no, I loved it. Um, and if you want to go and check out more episodes, you can check them out on Apple and Spotify. I'll be speaking with another guest next week, and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. Bye.